Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Shirley You Can't Be Serious podcast. We are here for a very special episode today. We are joined by our super fan, not just a fan, but a super fan and Patreon member, Ms. Amanda Jenick. How are you doing, Amanda? I'm good. How about you guys? We are doing great. Thank you. Doing awesome. Is my lipstick red enough? Is my mascara on the right way? Do I look the part? You look the part. Do I look like Edward Scissorhands? How's my hair? (laughs) (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, we are here today to talk about The Cure and more specifically their album from 1989, Disintegration. We are doing this, well, because Amanda bought us out. (laughs) Hey, Amanda, you came on in June. I looked back on Facebook and you had created a little sign that said, hey, everybody, go listen to the Shirley Can't Be Serious podcast. Mm -hmm. Oh, and by the way, beg Dee and Jason to cover The Cure versus Depeche Mode. Yes, I did. And you won our hearts at that moment. I love it. It was absolutely awesome. To be honest, this is a little bit uncharted for D and I. This is not our sweet spot. And that's why we brought you on and why we're going to lean on you today to help us out with the cure. Yeah, I'm ready. I'm going to sit down. You just tell us what happened. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) We're here to talk about the cure, but the cure is a band of copious, voluminous members, but the only constant throughout the history of the band, a brilliant musician. There's no other man in the world that I would rather buy a VO5 hot oil gift basket for. (laughs) Mr. Robert Smith. Jason, you said it. This is not only, I'm going to be honest here. I I know that I've got some people who are Cure fans who are tuning in. I've had some of our regular fans go, I can't wait to hear what you've got to say about this. I'm going to tell you the truth. I'm going to be completely honest at this point. I am glad we have a super fan on because The Cure is one of the few bands in my life that when people are like, oh, what do you, I'm like, I don't like them. I do not like, but Having gone through this process, having listened to this album, having listened to some of their other music, I can say at this point, my mind has been changed. Okay. You kind of showing your hand early, aren't you? Well, I, I mean, we've got we've got another group that we're going to compare this to. We're going to talk about Depeche Mode later on, and they also are not in there in my wheelhouse, but they are definitely more in my wheelhouse than The Cure ever was. Right. But my experience with The Cure was seeing Robert Smith and his weird tarantula hair and eyeliner in the late '80s and early '90s when they were becoming big on MTV, and it wasn't a turn on for me at all. I was just like, this is just weird. We call them emos back then. The songs that I heard were not songs that I like, but this is an absolutely true story. When we got done with our last episode and it was time to finally start focusing on the cure, I put this album on, I started driving home and literally within the first two minutes of the first song, I was calling up Jason going, I actually really like this. This is actually really good. So thank you, Amanda. You've turned me. And so I have to say thank you. I have really enjoyed this album, and I can't wait to talk to you guys in detail about the band and, of course, this epic, epic album. That's fantastic. Another win for me because my husband was exactly the same. He did not like The Cure at all, but all he really knew was the radio stuff. Like, you know, on Friday, I'm in love. That man hates that song so, so much. And once I started playing more of the catalog for him and stuff, like his mind was changed. And then we just saw The Cure live um, this summer when I did the sign in June. And he's a musician. He plays bass and stuff. He is now a big, big, big fan. Can we settle something real quick before we go any further? Are we calling him The Cure or The Cure? (laughs) 
<laughs> Are you making fun of my pronunciation? I'm, just, again? I'm saying we bring on Miss Wisconsin and you're the one pronouncing it funny. It's the cure. <laughs> okay, there we go. Secure. The cure. 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 I don't know. Okay. It's nuclear. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So let's jump in. Let's start talking about the band. This is a band that basically you could say was the origin of goth rock. I was in love with the movie, The Crow, back in 1994, I think is when it came out. And James O'Barr had a specific reference to The Cure and Joy Division getting him through this difficult spot in his life that was what the crow was based on. And so I understood the concept back then, but even then, other than that song, I do enjoy the song in the movie, the crow that they have, which mm -hmm. is the one where he's like punching the mirror and putting yeah. on the makeup for the first time. Uh, Burn. Yeah. I love it. I love that song, but it's always been Robert Smith's voice that I was just kind of meh about, especially with their more popular songs. So Robert was born back in 1959 in Blackpool, England. We all probably remember what it was like to turn 29 and realize that in a year you would be 30. And so if you were a brilliant musician and you tried to put those feelings to music while also taking copious amounts of LSD, <laughs> well, this is the album you get. And that's called Disintegration. Initially, we were going to do Kiss Me, Kiss Me, Kiss Me. which mm -hmm. is their album from 1987. Mm -hmm. But Amanda is like, uh, wait a minute now, guys. Disintegration is the album we want to do because it's better and it matches up better with Depeche Mode's Violator at yep. that. Yep, it's a far superior album, even though Kiss Me, Kiss Me, Kiss Me is my second favorite. Robert Smith considers this his masterpiece. Yep, this is his magnum opus. Fantastic, okay. So when he was a little kid, his parents were musicians and... He and his younger sister, Janet, uh, received piano lessons, and Janet apparently was an absolute prodigy. And so because Robert was jealous and had sibling rivalry, he decided, well, if she's going to be great at the piano, I'm going to be great at the guitar because she can't fit her hand around the guitar. And so I know that she can't get better than me at it. Yeah, I heard that his first guitar was a Christmas gift from his brother, but his brother said he had confiscated it from me anyway. So I gave it to him as a Christmas gift, but either way, he was going to have it. So Robert had started taking lessons from a student of John Williams. No, not that John Williams. Okay. There are two famous John Williams musicians. One of them is the composer that we know from Star Wars and Superman and all the others. The other is John Williams, a classical guitarist, and he is one of the most famous classical guitarists of all time. I had a John Williams music book growing up. Did you really? I absolutely did. Yes. Wow. But he figured out eventually that it just wasn't interesting to him to learn that type of guitar. And so he started really teaching himself after that. He started a band when he was about 14 years old, right after he officially got the guitar. We've got the band Brawley Goat Band. They also called themselves the Obelisk. Yep. And with the Obelisk, that was really that core group that started. You had Robert Smith, obviously. You had Mark Sicogno on guitar, Michael Dempsey on guitar, Alan Hill on bass, and Lowell Tolhurst on percussion. And Lowell's history with the band is Oh, lol. I did want to share something interesting with you guys. His childhood idol was Jimi Hendrix. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Jimi Hendrix. And he had tickets to go to the concert, but his brother, same one who gave him the guitar, locked him in a tent and he couldn't get out of the tent. He missed the concert and Jimi Hendrix passed away like two weeks later or something. Oh my gosh. Oh, no. That's terrible. So yeah, literally I was bouncing ideas off of James Buckley on the way over here today. 
and he literally sent me this song. So this is The Cure covering Purple Haze by Jimi Hendrix, and it's fantastic. I mean, it, it's it's all Cure. It's all Jimi Hendrix. I love it. I will tell you this. I called James Buckley last night. <laughs> I called him. I'm like, dude, help me out with The Cure. And he loves The Cure, and he's a rock guy. He's a rock drummer. He goes, well, I'll tell you what. You need to talk to my lead singer. Lead singer of the world-famous Hidden Tracks. Hidden Tracks. So he gives me Heath Works' number. Huh? who's the singer of Hidden Tracks. He said, this guy loves the cure. He's got tons of stuff. Called him twice, didn't get a hold of him. So, <laughs> so go see Hidden Tracks if you're in the Louisiana area. Thanks, James Buckley, for trying to make that happen. Yeah, well, I got some good info from James Buckley because I was asking him specifically about Boris Williams, the drummer on this album. Okay. So, But I'll get into that a little bit later when we start going in track by track. Okay. So these guys had this band in high school. He said in high school, they just called them the group because they were the only guys together as a group, as a band. So that was not terribly creative, but easy to identify. And then by 1977, they had finally come up with their real name, Easy Cure. So throughout this process, they have all these different singers. Like all these guys come in, they all sing. I think Lol sang at some point. And Robert Smith's back there going, playing guitar going, these guys all suck. <laughs> I hate all their voices. Now I hate my yep. own voice, Yeah, but I hate my voice about as much as I hate their voice. So I might as well sing. And so that's how he ends up singing. Basically, if we're going to have a sucky singer, it might as well be me. So back when they were still malice, he got kicked out of his high school. He got expelled from high school because they considered him an undesirable influence after, I guess, they had done a provocative performance as malice just before Christmas 1976. Yeah, I uh, heard that he wore a dress to school one day and the Catholics uh, didn't really enjoy that either. Well, he said it was pretty open minded school. And so they were just like, yeah, okay, it's a phase he's going through or whatever. But I think he may have inspired others to be even weirder. And his claim was that he got beat up after that, that day. So anyway, he gets expelled from school. He lives on social security for eight or nine months. And then when the money stopped, he thought, well, I guess we better make that demo tape. This is going to be a common theme through the whole podcast. Robert never wanted a job. Ever. Like he's like, he's like my boy, Jimmy Buffett. Don't work a day in your life. Like, you know, um, <laughs> but yeah, make the demo because he didn't want to get a job. Hey, you know, I was impressed when I went through the history of Robert Smith, the cure was opening for Susie and the Banshees. Yep. And then right before one of their concerts, I guess their guitar player, something happened to him. He couldn't go. So Robert. Quit. He quit. Yeah. The, the, the guitarist and the drummer of the Susie and the Banshees quit three days into the tour. So Robert Smith's like, I'll play guitar. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And they're like, yeah, right. And so they went through several other guitarists and then they came back and they're like, okay, do you really think that you can do this? Yes. And you can do your own show. Of course I can do it. And he did it. He said, I'll do it as long as the cure can still open for Susie and the Banshees. Yeah. Save the opening band by saving the lead band, right? That's it. I think it's cool. They talked about how that experience taught him how to be a true front man. Yeah. At some point he said, uh, can I borrow your lipstick? Is that right? Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Susie's, Susie's look, not just her performance, but her look were what inspired what we now know as the Robert Smith look. 
Okay, before we get off the early days of The Cure, I have to go back to a time when The Cure was opening for the band Generation X. Does that ring a bell for you? The band Generation X? Yes. Yeah, because Generation X is where Billy Idol came from. That's right. So while they're on tour with Generation X, Uh Lowell goes into the bathroom to relieve himself. Yeah. And in the stall, he finds Billy Idol having sex with a groupie. (laughs) And since he cannot be bothered, Lowell just pees on Billy Idol's leg. (laughs) While he's having sex with a groupie. Yep, drunk out of his mind. <laughs> well, when you gotta go, you gotta go. That got them kicked off the tour. <laughs> Way to go, lol. Billy wasn't happy happy about that. It was a Bill- distraction. <laughs> I'm doing something, dude. <laughs> Don't be on my leg and tell me it's raining. <laughs> so we're talking about you talking about how awesome a guitarist. Uh, Robert Smith is when the Banshees were trying to figure out who they were going to have replaced, like nobody could come up and just do it. And when they said, Robert, let's see what you can do. He knew their songs already. He was able to, to crank it out. He really truly is a brilliant musician and he's well known for having in his first several albums has this Woolworth's top 20 guitar, which is just a cheap, not particularly great guitar that he managed to crank out some amazing ethereal sounds from. He bought it for 20 pounds in 1978. Wow. Okay, guys, before we go on, I just want to tell you about this awesome podcast we found. Can you hear a big difference between Parliament and Funkadelic? Are you able to name the members of Wings who were not Paul and Linda? Are you intimately familiar with every track on side six of The Clash's Sandinista? Then Discographies, the podcast for you. Discography is a music obsessive's dream come true. Our friend Dave Gebro and his guests explore an artist or band's entire recorded output in a futile but valiant attempt to reach the higher truth, often cleverly disguised as a nerdy compendium of star ratings and lists. Some of the show's many amazing guests have included director John Landis, Jim Florentine doing four episodes on Black Sabbath, Lou Barlow rating the zombies, members of Pavement doing a five-parter rating of their own work, and Bob Mayer on The Replacements. He's also been releasing three shows a week for over a year in one of the most active Patreons humanly possible. You are not going to want to miss it. Discography is available wherever podcasts are consumed. You and I, we definitely recommend you subscribe and listen to this podcast. It's great. Fantastic. Deep dive to its deepest. So by 7879, they condensed their name from Easy Cure down to just The Cure. And Smith ends up composing and recording demo versions of some of their definitive early songs. He plays it on his sister's Hammond organ with a built-in tape recorder, including the song 1015 Saturday Night. It was Boys Don't Cry, Fire in Cairo, 10.15 on a Saturday night, and It's Not You. Were there four songs on their demo, and he was 16 years old. Wow. 16. Something else to mention about when they, you know, these early years or whatever, Mary Poole, she's going to come up a lot. But he met her when he was 14 years old, and they got married in 88, and they are still together. He met her when he was 14. Rumor on the street is their first date was going to see the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. <laughs> I saw a quote in regards to their family. They've never had children. 
No. And I guess somebody asked him and said, why haven't you guys had kids? He's like, well, I don't like living enough to have children. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's, it's like a deep philosophy with him. Yeah. It's, it, it, it feel, he feels like that, uh, becoming a parent is an act of tyranny. Like you're forcing someone to be born who didn't ask to be born. Okay. Thanks mom. <laughs> <laughs> so they end their tour with Susie and the Banshees and he goes back to recording with Strictly the Cure. He ends up writing and composing most of the music for the album 17 Seconds using the Hammond that we mentioned and a drum machine and that top 20 Worldworth guitar that we talked about. He wrote most of the lyrics in one night in Newcastle for that album. One night. Yeah. When he was drunk. And that's that's also a common theme. You know, you and I were talking before we started recording, Amanda. The interesting thing about a lot of these songs, maybe the whole album, is it's not verse, verse, bridge, chorus, verse. It's almost poetry mm-hmm. with layers of synth and guitar and melody. Mm-hmm. It's very different than what I'm used to, but I was swept away in it. Yeah, it's like a circus of the mind. Like I told you before, you think a song's going to end. And then all of a sudden, nope, it just gets bigger than all of a sudden. It crescendos even higher than. The first time I was listening to this, I was like, okay, great. This is an instrumental. Nope. <laughs> just takes four minutes for him to start singing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so for the first four albums, the entire band was given songwriting credits. First four albums are Three Imaginary Boys, 17 Seconds, Faith, and Pornography. And so that was basically every year, right? 79, 80, 81, 82. Yep. It was another couple of years before they came out with the next album, which was called The Top. 1984. Yep. And then later on that year, Andy Anderson, who was their drummer, got into a racially motivated incident with a security guard. (laughs) What? And then um, destroyed a hotel room because of it. And so they fired him. Okay. And that is when they hired... Boris Williams, who is the drummer that would be on their next couple of albums and the album that we're here to talk about today. So the next couple in the mix, we've got The Head on the Door, 1985. Yep. And then we've got Kiss Me, Kiss Me, Kiss Me. Now there's another album that's out there called Japanese Whispers. And this is their... This is like their B-sides and some of their other stuff. And this was the album that I sent to you guys. And I said, this is like happy little pop music by The Cure. I listened to several of the songs. I'm like, this is actually kind of fun. I like I like the happy Robert Smith. <laughs> yep. Yeah, well, he's he's a funny guy. He's got a reputation. He's a funny bloke, if I may. You know, from England. So, but he's got that reputation of just being a goofball. You know, you watch the the interviews and stuff too. They're mind blowing. They're just they're so fun to watch because he's just funny. He's cracking jokes. He's making fun of people. Makes fun of himself. Like he's got a great sense of humor. I I just got to give credit to him that after this many years, I mean, I don't remember when he adopted the look for sure, but we're talking about late 70s, probably. He has not given up the mascara, the lipstick, or the crazy hair. Like Eddie Van Halen cut his hair. David Lee Roth cut his hair. The guys from Metallica all cut their hair. Even Lane Staley cut his hair. Robert Smith? No. He is. Well, he did. He did. 
He did at one point. I mean, let you guys, I'm just going to say this. He is hot. Okay. <laughs> He's just a beautiful, beautiful man. And there was a time when he got sick of everybody talking about his hair because like people would show up to shows and stuff and nothing irritated him more than when he'd go to a show and see all these people dressed like him, their hair like him, everything. So he did, he completely cut his hair, whatever. And he hated that even more. So he just grew it back. So, but that's um, probably early, mid eighties, maybe. But if you see the pictures and stuff, it doesn't look like the same person. He's not I, saw, Smith. I saw that picture. And actually, James Buckley sent it to me. And he sent me a comparison. Here's Robert Smith in 1986, clean cut, collared shirt, and a picture of Ben Affleck right next to him. They look like twins. Wow. I can see it. Yeah. But interesting note, you were talking about, you know, their first couple albums and stuff, D. Um, I don't know if you guys read about this at all, but 17 Seconds, Faith and Pornography, they're considered the suicide trilogy because um, it's three records together that are the most depressing records you will ever listen to in your life, um, especially Faith. Like I tell people, don't listen to the Faith album, not George Michael's Faith, but their Faith album. <laughs> um, don't listen to that if you're not in the right mindset, because if you're depressed already or whatever, that thing's going to put you over the edge. That trilogy of albums is, they're amazing. They are gifts to, you know, gifts to the world, but they're heavy. I'm getting very close to ready to jump in track by track. Yep. But I feel like, Amanda, that I need to ask you, tell me about the forest. Oh, my God. It, you, oh, that is the song that flipped my husband from being a cure hater to a cure lover. He's um, my husband plays bass. He's not in a band or anything right now, but he's very judgmental, I guess, about music. And if, you know, musicians are, are talented or if they're mailing it in or if it's all synthesizers, you know, that whatever. And I played the chorus for him one night and he lost his mind. It's so good. The last minute and a half of that song will it, God, see, I just get speechless, you guys. But watch the video sometimes. It's an 80s nightmare, but it's a song from the 70s. But it's like neon vomit all over your screen. It's <laughs> yellows and greens and pinks and everything. But that song is um, widely considered one of the favorites by the Die Hard Cure base outside of the radio heavy stuff and everything because it's deep it's brilliant it's just it's it's amazing i think it's important to mention you guys with their music all their albums and stuff too they purposely well robert specifically went out of their way to make music that they didn't think people would want to hear because as they started getting more popular and stuff and they realized all of a sudden they were turning into pinup boys and stuff and that's never what they wanted robert smith never ever wanted fame he doesn't care about the money and a lot of artists say that you got to believe this dude like he lives in like a monk you know like money does not matter to him um but they would specifically write songs that they didn't think people would like or that the label would hate that leads us right into what i was getting ready to say about this album he sits down he was not pleased with the popularity that they had achieved from Kiss Me, Kiss Me, Kiss Me. They were MTV darlings. You know, Just Like Heaven is a great little pop song. The album was super well received. They became popular. And mm -hmm. because of that, they became successful. And therefore, he became depressed. He was always depressed. It just, <laughs> you know, up the factor. That's true. You know, it's like when saying when Wilt Chamberlain was tall. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, nothing pisses me off more than success and money and, you know, having it all. But so he's 29 on the edge of 30. 
He looks around. I'm I'm Mr. Popularity. The record company wants me to make a sequel to Kiss Me, Kiss Me, Kiss Me. I don't really want to do that. I'm going to make my magnum opus because I want to put my stamp on the world before I'm 30 years old. And so I'm going to do what I want to do. And so when he finished Disintegration, he sat back and thought, this is the best I'm ever going to do. This is my magnum opus. This is awesome. I've outdone myself. And he brought it to the record executives. So when he plays it for them, it's sort of like, hmm, they're all kind of cross-armed and like, eh. and so they, after listening to it, very lukewarm reception, they tell him you're being willfully obscure. He thought it was a masterpiece and they thought it was a pile of crap. Very similar to what we had discussed earlier on the NXS kick album. When they brought it to the record executives, they, those guys offered him a million bucks to start over. I feel like your statement about it being a lukewarm reception may be a little generous because they actually called the album commercial suicide. That's not very lukewarm. You're right. Yeah. And it turns out they were exactly right because when the album was released, it was the best selling album they had ever had. <laughs> okay. I've got something for you before we get started on the track by track. I found this fascinating. So when they were recording the album, they recorded it at hook end manor, which I guess was David Gilmore's old house, David Gilmore from Pink Floyd. And so they're recording this between November of 88 and February of 89. During this time, a fire broke out in Robert Smith's living quarters due to a, like an electrical heater. The electrical heater that he had in his room catches his room on fire. Does he care about his belongings? No. Does he care that his room is on fire? No. But he does have a satchel of lyrics for the album disintegration pre-recording. Mm -hmm. And so he said they all joined hands, like made a chain with towels around their head so they wouldn't burn their hair. And he had to go in because he was the only one who knew where that satchel, where the lyrics were. And so they literally risked their lives to save the lyrics to this album. And when he found it, of course, there's fire and smoke and all this stuff. They put out the fire. The firemen actually yelled at him, them collectively. And he said, you guys, your lives are way more important than a stupid bag full of papers. And Robert Smith's like, you guys don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. You don't know who you're talking to. Yep. I found oh, that interesting. very interesting. That is that is interesting. So. You know, too, it's worth noting um, he's on record talking about when they were recording this album that um, he went into what he called a monk state where he refused to talk to people and he wanted to make recording the album as uncomfortable as possible to enhance the vibe of the album. He's awesome. A he's a <laughs> One more thing. I thought this was interesting. In the liner notes, there is a, a sentence that says, this music has been made to be played loud, so turn it up. Well, every time I sent you guys one, I'm like, headphones on, volume up. That's it. So listen to it. Okay, let's jump in track by track. First song on the album is called Plain Song. Okay, so as the album starts off, I got to crank up the volume because I'm like, did I put, did I hit play? What happened? Did I get, oh, oh, 
It's like I'm listening to the wind chimes at Nana's house. This is so nice. This makes me feel so good. And then, boom, slam in my face. You get this orchestra of amazing sound. Mm-hmm. You get about three minutes of that until anything else kicks in. So it's just, it's gorgeous. It's absolutely gorgeous. Their last two are not this one, but the one previous, I believe it was 2018. They did a concert at Hyde Park in England. And that was their opening song for the concert. Talk about setting a mood. Like, you know what you're in for. The opening lyrics. I think it's dark and it looks like rain, you said. And the wind is blowing like it's the end of the world, you said. First lyrics on this CD. That repetition of that you said, it just hits, man. It just hits. Like you said, you think you're in for this nice, peaceful, you know, orchestra song. And then it's like, oh, no, I know what you're doing here, Robert. I got your number. So I think this is the perfect intro song for a concert. For me, I envision, you know, a little backlit. They're actually taking the stage. You see them picking up the instruments as this is getting going. And once again, the first half, totally instrumental. And then you think, okay, this is a great grand entrance and then he starts singing halfway through and then continues with lyrics like and it's so cold it's like the cold if you were dead then you smiled for a second (laughs) sometimes you make me feel like i'm living at the edge of the world it's just the way i smile you said the feel is hopeful and melodic and grand and the lyrics are about bad weather and death right and that's what the cure is though they'll they'll flip those emotions on their heads you know where you've got this, you know, some of these songs, these really upbeat, cheery melodies with these gloom and doom lyrics. And then other songs you've got where it almost sounds dark and haunting and demented and everything. But then those, they're the most beautiful lyrics. They flip those emotions on their head. I love it. This is a great way to start the album. I was hooked in from the beginning. I thought it was beautiful. I'm with you. Three minutes into the song and I'm calling up Jason going, I've totally flipped i've done a 180 on this this is amazing you love to hear it (laughs) all right next song on the album is a song called pictures of you So it was at this point in the album that i really started tuning into boris williams drums His drums are unique, they're powerful, they're epic. I think they speak in each and every one of the songs on this album, but he does it in a masterful way where he's not overpowering the rest of the music. He is accentuating the rest of the music, which again, this is a perfect example of what they do, builds layer by layer by layer as you're going through here. Pictures of You was based on an essay by Myra Paleo called The Dark Power of Ritual Pictures. After Robert Smith read this, he decided to destroy all of his old photos and home videos as a way to erase his past. And then he regretted doing that afterwards. The man's a savage. See, I heard a completely different story on this song. And the interesting thing, like in interviews, he'll give different accounts that clash. So you don't really know what's the truth. But I heard that the inspiration for this song is from that fire where they were saving the lyrics or whatever, and he was sifting through the fire-damaged remains, and he came across a picture of his wife. And supposedly, that picture is on the cover of the single. He tells different accounts of everything, like constantly contradicts himself and stuff. 
Yeah. He's just keeping people on their toes. He's not afraid to lie, that's for no. sure. So this was the fourth single released March 19th of 1990. Now the interesting thing, the video, the music video was shot in Scotland and was a week before this big snow that hit there. And according to Robert Smith, filming that video, he has never been colder in his life. I think this is the best song in the album. Spike the football early, best song in the album. Wow. You know who else kind of agrees with me? Rolling Stone marked this as the 283rd out of the 500 greatest songs of all time. It's a good song. You're not with me. I can tell you're not with me. I love them all. The first several songs on this are all bangers. Side one is strong. This is just the that you know it's it has that more upbeat tone to it this is where i feel like simon gallup just shines on that bass the first couple minutes of this song are, are just unbelievable he's front and center there totally love and anguish but it's painful also somehow uplifting you know and it's funny because about five minutes 45 seconds into the song or so you can feel that something's about to change minute six on the dot he hits you in the face was with um there was nothing in the world that I ever wanted more than to feel you deep in my heart. There was nothing in the world I ever wanted more than to never feel the breaking apart my pictures of you. I'm done. Like, I can't. <laughs> it slays me in every way, but just minute six on the dot, he's like, I'm not done. Oh, no, I'm not done. <laughs> awesome this one like you said was the last single that they released it number 71 on the billboard hot 100 number 19 on alternative airplay i'm definitely putting it as a as a top finisher on the on the album every time i hear this song though i think about junior high that was the crush song that's the song that you played in your head when you were just staring at brian like (laughs) (sighs) is brian your husband's name no that was my my crush that was my middle school crush so there it's out out in the open there you go uh brian if you're listening please email the shirley can't be serious podcast (laughs) we want to hear from you right sorry uh for those gazing looks across the room that might have made you uncomfortable That's actually a good question. How did you get introduced to the band in the first place? Do you remember? Okay, you guys, this is wild, okay? I was not a Cure fan until 10 years ago. Like, I liked some of their stuff, but I don't know, something 10 years ago, started listening to it more and more, um, more of the deep cuts and stuff, really paying attention to the lyrics and stuff. And they just spoke to me, you know, before that it was just, oh, I like the radio stuff. Um, but, and now just unapologetic about it. I couldn't even tell you the first time that I was like, oh, you know, the first song I heard or whatever, but about, yeah, about 10 years ago. So, but my music tastes are very eclectic. They're all over the map. When you're ranking out bands that I love, you know, it's my tops are The Cure, Alice in Chains, The Doobie Brothers, Steely Dan. That is a varied mix right there. Yeah. That right? is a very varied mix right there. <laughs> They've all got something to say, and they're saying it beautifully. Nice. You know who the old drummer to Steely Dan was? Mm-hmm. Chevy Chase. No. no. It's truth. Huh? That's the truth. Before they became the Steely Dan. Before they became Steely Dan that we know today. I'm going to have things. Now I know what I'm going to read about tonight. (laughs) (laughs) All right. We ready to move on? The third song is another song where they take two words that are separate words and stick them together and make them one word. The song is called 
closed down. I'm I'm ready for Mike to kiss eleven for the first time. I, 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 this is '80s gold right here, absolute '80s synth gold. The drums are what get me on this song. That very 100%. tribal sound. Yeah, the drums sound like uh, when you go see like the the Broadway show of The Lion King. You know, it's like <laughs> tribal. Yeah, yeah. Boris Williams is going after the toms at the beginning of this. And like I said, it absolutely fits. I love it. You've got you've got this build, and then it comes in with the synthesizer. It's just beautiful. It, it, yeah, I mean, it, you start with the drums, you bring in that synth that raises it, and then you have the guitar, the bass, and the vocals. It's just a they build it from the ground up before your very ears. It's and that's a theme with all their songs. It keeps building and building, and you're waiting for that pressure release. But he doesn't give it to us in this song. Right. It feels like it's building, but you listen to the beginning and the end, and they're pretty much the same tempo all the way through, but it feels like it's building. There are literally seven lines of lyrics in this <laughs> entire song. Seven lines of lyrics. But this one goes back to the inspiration for the album, the 29th birthday. We're about to reach the end of youth. Nobody's making good music after they turn 30. And so what's the first lyric of the song? I'm running out of time. I'm out of step closing down and then he ends with if only i could fill my heart with love here's what he said on that he said several of the tracks on this album he is thinking about the feeling of being washed up and this is his quote the biggest frustration of getting older is not being able to feel strong emotions anymore he says cynicism enters your world and you get numb mm-hmm. i cannot agree with you more my friend i wish i could feel the way i felt when i was 29 years old again. You've got that juxtaposition of that happy, more upbeat sound to it, but those depressing lyrics. <laughs> it messes with the mind again. Well, I think we're about to cure that with the next song, if you'll pardon the pun there. <laughs> Fourth song on the album, which is the third single, is called Love Song. Okay, I'm going to try not to say too much about my feelings on the song because I don't want to upset Amanda. What? You're fine. Hey. You don't like this one? This is one of their popular songs that I was familiar with that I was just like, meh, this doesn't, I, it's just, it doesn't appeal to me. I'm, I'm sorry. I know that he wrote it as a wedding present for his wife and that's beautiful and sweet and all, but the sound voice on this one it's not my cup of tea and it's so take, and i know and that i'm the in the video? minority right this is like one of their biggest hits of all time it reached number two on the hot 100 number two amanda what do you think i love this song i, I do i love it it's not my favorite though i mean d it doesn't super surprise me that you said that because honestly it's not one of my super favorites either i love the fact that he tried to write like just a simple love song you know but in true robert fashion even he couldn't do that it, it still had to be haunting you know but it is their only song in the catalog really that's truly about love 
Okay, you're both crazy. This is a great song. This is radio-friendly hit. This is what would play on MTV. Or on the top 40. This is a radio-friendly hit. I don't don't know why you don't like it. Listen to this top five from October 21st, 1989. I'm a big 1989 guy. Listen to this top five. Number five, you have Mixed Emotions by the Rolling Stones. The Return of the Rolling Stones. Number four, you've got Listen to Your Heart by Roxette. 80s Gold. Number three, Sowing the Seeds of Love by Tears for Fears. Maybe their best song ever and an ode to the Beatles. Absolute gold. Number two, you have Love Song by The Cure. Maybe their most radio-friendly hit. And then number one, you've got Miss You Much by Janet Jackson. Awesome 80s song. That that's a power top five right there. Yeah, if if you were doing uh, which of these things is not like the other in this one, <laughs> I have no doubt that love song is the not like the other. It is not songs. like the other. That's for sure. I like this one. I think it's great. It is. It's a great. It's a great song. Can I be honest about this? I, I hate to say this. this I hate to say this. Yeah. I hate to say. It. Have you guys heard the three eleven cover of this song? Yes. I love the three eleven cover of this song. So good. It's so good. You should put a snip of that. In the okay, show. we should listen to we should listen to that now. Oh okay. my gosh. Okay, that three eleven version. It's like reggae. I love it. It's yeah. It's well, reggae, but it's still 11. very true to the song. It is so yeah. true to the song, and I th- that guy's voice is not the Robert Smith voice that I don't like. Okay, D, pop quiz. Yeah. Quick poll. Ready? Love song by Cure. Love song by Tesla. Ready? Go. <laughs> it's absurd. It's absurd. Same, same time period. Yeah, so that's literally how the conversation started when I said to Jason, which album are we doing? And he said, Disintegration. I'm like, what's the big song off of that one? And he's like, Love song. I'm like... Love song by Tesla. I love that. <laughs> this is mostly one of my favorite Tesla songs. But once again, they've slammed those words together. And whereas with Tesla, you have love song. This one is love song. I do think it's cool that it was written as a wedding present. You kind of glossed over that, but that's a really cool thing. Again, to Mary Poole, his yep. longtime love from his early yep. teenage days. I heard a guy talking about love song and how it's uplifting and sort of loving and light for this album. He said it's like love song is the lamp to help you illumine the dark corners of this album. Because you need a break from everything that's going on. So yeah, I completely. So you don't split your wrists. (laughs) (laughs) Fun fact about Mary Poole though, too. She doesn't even like the Cure. She doesn't like most of their music. What? What? You got to be kidding me! I missed it. What'd she say? Mary Poole. Mary Poole, yeah, his wife doesn't even like most of the Cure's music. <laughs> that does not surprise me at all. I, I do not be kidding me. I do not think my wife has listened to a single podcast that we've ever done. She never <laughs> oh, came to funny. a Sunday school class when I was teaching. Like literally nothing. That's crazy though. I mean, it bought her house and puts food on her table. It's nuts. Well, there she's honest though, man. There, there it's lipstick on her husband's but... face every night. You know. Other fun fact about this song though: um, Robert Smith says it's the weakest. song on the album wow See? and he wrote it for his wife but he considers it the weakest song on the album yeah. that ingrate who doesn't like my music 
Yeah, he's thinking she's not going to listen to this anyway. Let's get this done. That way I've at least satisfied the I wrote a song for you, honey. (laughs) I get flowers. I want a song written about me. Exactly, right? Okay, Jason, before we keep going, there is a podcast that you and I just discovered, which is fan-freaking-tastic that I wanted to tell everybody about. Yeah, it's called Famous and Gravy. Yeah, a couple of guys, very much like ourselves, same generation. They have that kind of same talking back and forth chemistry. Michael Osborne and Amit Kapoor, they have this really awesome format, and it just it keeps you engaged in the podcast the whole freaking time. Yeah, so they talk about a person who is dead and whether or not you would want to have their life. It's yeah. kind of a cool thing. They're they're inspirational. They're very positive, thought-provoking. I, I enjoy this stuff. They break it up into like 10 or 11 different categories. First one is the obituary of this person. Right. And then the last one is the James Vanderbeek category of, I don't want your life. <laughs> and it's fantastic. And they've got a Malkovich category in there, which is my absolute favorite. But you guys should totally go check these guys out. They cover athletes. They cover rock stars. Yeah. Just, I mean, anybody and everybody. I mean, they've covered Eddie Money, Luke Perry. I even forgot he died. Fred Willard, Gene Wilder, Bill Paxton, Hank Aaron, Alan Rickman. You told me you found a Bill Paxton nugget in one of their podcasts. From like, them. According to their podcast, I learned this stuff. Yeah. Bill Paxton. Do you know the song Fish Heads? Fish heads, fish heads, roly poly fish heads. Yeah. Bill Paxton was the director of that music video. Shut up. Yes. Dude, I love these guys. They yeah. are fantastic. Guys, if you have not checked out the Famous and Gravy podcast, definitely go check that out. Definitely. Okay, moving on to the next song in the album. This song is called Last Dance. So let's dance. Let's dance. <laughs> Turn that off. Also, the, also a banger. It is a banger. <laughs> okay, sorry. Let's go back to the cure. Okay, so what I've got on this one is that this is the feeling that you have when you meet someone that you haven't seen for a long time and you used to have very strong feelings for them and you don't anymore and you suddenly realize it's a horrible sensation. This is the one song on the album that I would mark down as a skipper. Oh my God. Oh my God. This one doesn't do anything for me. I think this song is brilliant. Really? It's probably my second favorite on the album. What? Yeah. Okay. Well, help me. Yeah. It's, it's a musical circus again. You know, you think you're going in one direction, you go in a completely other direction. It sounds very pointed, you know, like he's talking about a woman. What else could it be? I mean, he says it right in the, the lyrics, you know, where a girl, you you know, where a woman is, where a girl once stood. Um, But... In listening to the lyrics and stuff and thinking about what was happening at the time with Lowell getting ousted from the band, that broke him. That broke Robert. Okay, childhood best friends. The rest of the band wanted to get rid of him for a long time. And he kept him in there and it broke him when he had to, he wrote him a letter, you guys, to kick him out of the band and said, just please don't come back. Don't try and change my mind. You know, this is nothing against you. Basically, it's not you, it's me. But if you listen to the lyrics, knowing that all that was going on, all the alcohol abuse that was taking place at the time and stuff, and then you hear lyrics like, to see how we're ending this last dance together. This is the last album that Lowell was involved in. And he knew he was gonna have to kick him out. Christmas falls late. 
flatter and colder and never as bright as when we used to fall. We were good back in the day, look at us now type thing. And I really believe that this was forever. Honestly think that this song not necessarily was written about that situation, but reflects what was going on in the time and played a big part in the lyrics of this song. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna agree with Amanda. You're wrong on this one. This was a banger for me. This is not a skipper. This this is the first one that I was like, okay, I gotta make a note on this song because I like some of these things that are going on so much. I think the guitar playing in this is absolutely beautiful. And then when he sings, this is the song that I love Robert Smith's voice on. I mean, this is the song that I'm like, oh my gosh, this is like a Pink Floyd song. It's the best voice for this song. 100%. Yeah, so, so far to me, we've we've had banger, banger, banger on this. They've all been fantastic. I don't see a, a definite end in sight. I didn't like Love Song. That was the skipper for me. But jumping back in on Last Dance, we, we start a ride up a roller coaster and it, there's no stopping it. Well, moving on to the next song on the album. This song is called Lullaby. This one is another great song. So I mentioned earlier that his parents were musicians. His dad was a singer and he would sing lullabies to Robert whenever he was a little kid, but he would do the same thing that you get when you've got Rockabye Baby where the bow breaks and the cradle falls and down comes baby and all. And we're like, that's a terrible. That sucks. Yeah. Yeah. So he's at his dad would do the same thing. And the song would end with something like sleep now, pretty baby, or you won't wake up at all. (laughs) (laughs) and so he'd go to sleep and he'd have nightmares about getting eaten by spiders and so that is the impetus for him writing this song okay amanda the floor is yours what do you think okay this was the first single that was released from this album in the uk in the uk yep in the uk um so we're looking back at a time okay we didn't have spotify we didn't have anything all you knew is what you heard on the radio so this is what they chose to release because then you hear that song and that's what got people into the record stores right Right. so you have to release a good one but at this time the music scene is also changing you see that grunge creeping into the song we're still too early for grunge but the alternative is making a shift going toward the grunge movement and everything and i think we've got a free grunge era song here right that you know guys between these lyrics the stripped down nature of this song just the simplicity with these horrifying desperate lyrics um at this time we've got faith no more we've got nirvana bleached just came out hair bands are fading sorry guys i know that's a sad time for you but the hair bands were fading away <laughs> my Run heart just to show its head you know so here we've got the cure again pivoting to a little bit you know of a, a music style that they see becoming a little bit more popular but still making it cure style i can't help but think like if allison chains back in the day did a stripped down version of this song like what that would sound like i feel like lane staley is rolling over in his grave that he didn't write these lyrics everything about it is grunge it's heavy it's scary it's frightening but it's a beautiful song again circus it's a circus but i see the elements of grunge in this song you know who did cover this song jimmy page and robert plant wow yeah it's phenomenal A, a led zeppelin version of this song 
I've seen this as a metaphor for addiction, depression, <laughs> even sexual assault. To me, we've already established that Robert Smith was using hallucinatory drugs while he's writing and preparing for this album. This sounds like a trip to me. It's an, it's an acid trip. It's an acid trip where he's thinking there's spiders all over the place and they're out to get him and eat him for dinner. He's talking about the Spider-Man who's at the foot of the bed. Spider-Man's going to have him for dinner tonight. And I feel like I'm being eaten by a thousand million shivering holes. And I know that in the morning I will wake up in the shivering cold. So have you guys seen the video for this? Yeah. He's trying to fall asleep. They were supposed to put a real spider on him. And he was like, I no. can't. Nope. <laughs> no, I can do that. Not happening. <laughs> no. This is the highest charting Cure single in the UK. Topped out at number five. This seems very Alice in Wonderland to me. Mm -hmm. So you and I were talking earlier. This was the first single released in the UK, reached number five. It only hits number 74 in the US. It was the third single in the US because the record guys around over here were like, this is not a great radio song. This is not a great lead single. We're not releasing it. We're releasing the next song. The next song instead. Mm -hmm. And what's the next song, Jason? The next song is called Fascination Street. I'm digging it. Driving drum track, a song about getting drunk in New Orleans. What else do you need? <laughs> Killer bass lines. Okay. Have you guys seen the movie Lost Angels? No. Okay. Lost Angels starring Donald Sutherland, released in 1989. We've already talked about how I'm a big 1989 guy. Go back to our best years in the <laughs> 80s movies, right? Yeah. I have not seen this movie, but apparently they released Fascination Street as the first single in the U.S. because it was featured in the movie Lost Angels. Okay. Apparently they're trying to capitalize on the success of Lost Angels, and I've never heard of this movie. <laughs> Well, the song did better than the movie did, apparently. Yeah. I mean, because I guess the U.S. executives were not too far off base. It, it did very well. At this time, Billboard had just come out with this modern rock tracks, which is now called Alternative Airplay. But back then, brand new, this song hits number one and stays on the top of the chart for the next seven weeks on that chart. It's so good. This is the song that I danced in my kitchen to. Just a great beat, something you would have heard like in the club almost, or it all got really super clubby music, you know, um, just a great rock song. It's so moody, but it's mm -hmm. upbeat, happy. Well, I mean, Robert's going to be Robert, you know, he's got to add that vibe. I know. And let's move to the beat like we know that it's over. If you slip going under, slip over my shoulder. Okay, now we've used this metaphor a lot but this is crocking and tubs driving on the streets <laughs> it's dark they're after somebody and they're they're deep in thought and they're, they're bummed out because the hooker got killed or something <laughs> so this one belongs on miami vice well it's a great song yeah i like well, it. you cut it's a great song like and it. and the extended intro for the longer version longer mix is fantastic they got some long intros on this album man i'm telling you yeah all right hit stop on your tape player kick it out Flip it over for side two. First song on side two is called Prayers for Rain. A 
love this build. This is such a driving song. I said before, Last Dance made me think of Pink Floyd. This one, I'm getting all kinds of The Doors, Riders on the Storm, which, I mean, tie it in with Prayers for Rain. It is that steady, almost like a Western style riff, but with their synth pop sound. I mean, it's just, it is too good. I kind of wish that Johnny Cash had covered this song because I feel like that roughness belongs in the song, but what they do with it is amazing. I love it, love it, love it. Good stuff. You know, you got it just came off of um, Fascination Street, which is, you know, a little bit more upbeat sounding, more rock, you know, sound to it or whatever. And then they just slip right back into that mood, thunderstormy kind of mood. This one, he opens up with you, shelter me, your grip on me, a hold on me, so dull it kills. Yeah, I like the beginning, the piano sounds, that it's the chords of the piano that are like ringing. And it's like, it's like the beginning of Rio. If you remember, we talked about how Nick Rhodes would bang his piano chords. So interesting powerful song this i think is probably my if not, if not my favorite it's my second favorite on the album this one and the first song on the album playing song top two contenders for me good choices all right next song on the album is called same deep water as you So this is probably the biggest soundscape of the album. This is all about your feel, your emotion, putting you in that vibe, whatever that vibe might be for you. I dig it a lot. It is, and it's the longest song in the album by far. 922. This is another one of those where I was like, oh, this is a instrumental. Nope. It just takes four <laughs> minutes to get going. I'm, I can imagine in concert, he's just walking around and the crowd's just like, go to the mic, dude, go to the mic. It's unbelievable. Um, I, I can talk about the concert later. No, tell yeah. us about it now. Because you, you're thinking he's walking around on stage. I'm thinking he's like, okay, guys, I got to go pee. I need to go grab a beer. <laughs> you guys go ahead. I'll be back in about seven minutes. I can go it's buy a t-shirt. Just pacing the stage. And he uh -huh. does all of this. He's done it since the beginning of the band. When he sings and stuff, he gets so into it. He puts his whole heart, mind, body, soul into it. But he'll walk around and he does these weird things with his hands and he'll just stare. It's like he's looking at every single person in that arena, like into your soul. He's been quoted many times about how, even though his music is depressing and sends a message and everything, he's very humbled by the fact that people want to listen to what he has to say. Uh, obviously, we know that he's not a big, you know, he's not doing dance numbers up there he oh, might walk around no, there's this. no choreography there's yeah. no choreography <laughs> but you've do you have something going on like in a screen behind them like are they oh, doing yeah the typical stuff that you'd almost expect you know obscure images and birds and you know when you first walk into the arena it's just sounds of thunderstorms That's which is cool. exactly what you'd expect this is a deep, dark, beautiful return to the, the sadness right here. Mm -hmm. All right. I can listen to this song a lot because I've had a lot of loss in my life. You know, I've lost my, my mom when I was pregnant. We lost my dad in 2020, aunts, uncles, everything. I mean, I've had a lot of loss in my life. And this is the song that hits me with it. It makes me feel all those things that you feel like over the years you're grappling with you're dealing with better and everything and it's not necessarily the lyrics so much i mean there's some killer lyrics in here too but it's just more that mood that ride that you're on during this song that profound sadness it's one i i have to skip sometimes it's not a skipper but i have to skip it for my own mental health i can't listen to it a lot wow that's great 
That's the best story on the podcast right there. Genuinely, those songs that you have that mean so much to you that sometimes you just can't listen to them, <laughs> those are special. Awesome. Thanks for sharing. Okay, next song on the album is called Disintegration. So this song is much more straightforward than every other song on the album. You have this really aggressive drum beat that's going on and this bass line that is killer, but it's repetitive. It's the same thing over and over throughout the song. This is the one that if you're going to focus on the lyrics and the singing, this is the song that you're doing that on because as good as the music is, it's the same thing over and over and over again as he starts singing. To me, this is the closest pop sounding song on the album. It's got an energy. It's a little bit rock-ish. Mm -hmm. Again, eight minutes and 20 seconds long. So <laughs> back in there. Spike the football, best song on the album. Yeah, there we go. All right. The way it starts at a high. Like all the other songs kind of, you know, they, they build. They build up to something. This one just starts at the top and doesn't let go for the entire song. It just grips you. There's no release. There's nothing. It's you're going to feel this. He's grabbing you by, by your collar. You're going to hear what I have to say. Now, I, now that I know that I'm breaking to pieces, I'll pull out my heart and I'll feed it to anyone. Crying for comfort, crocodiles cry. For the love of the crowd and the three cheers from everyone, dropping through the sky, the glass of the roof, through the roof of your mouth, through the mouth of your eye, through the eye of the needle, it's easier for me to get closer to heaven than to ever feel whole again. He's a poet. He's a poet. <laughs> I love it. it Spike the when football. He gets, when he gets to that part of the song, and he, it, I don't even think he breathes while he's singing that, it never lets up. Top three of all pure songs for me. Nice. Wow. Okay, coming nice. strong. Yeah, that's awesome. The next song on the album is called Homesick. This is a new sound. You've got the piano in there, which is this, I mean, it's a genuine, real, like grand piano sound to it. Not any synth going on there. And it's really lovely. It's just lovely. But then this guitar comes in with like a phaser effect on there. And it takes you back to that place that you've been before of the, the soundscape style of the music. But the piano continues through the song, giving this beautiful mixture of classical and modern. I, I dig the song a lot. It's good. It's a good one. Um, I don't think there's any skippers on this album, but out of the entire album, this is the one I listen to the least. It's just a little slow for me. It's just one I don't listen to as much, and I, I don't I don't know why. I mean, I've already felt so much during listening to this album throughout, you know, all these songs or whatever, and then you get here, and it's extra deep again, you know, and it's emotional, and it's driven, and it's by the time I get to this point in the album, I'm already having all the feels. Yeah, like I, spent. I, yeah, yeah, spent. exactly. Maybe it's because Lowell Tolhurst is the guy who composed this one. Interesting. To him. Well, according to Roger O'Donnell, who is his replacement, that he was the guy who initially came up with the composition, the piano for this one. Now, they took it and ran with it, and there's a good chance that Lowell isn't on any of this album at all, but uh, that he initially came up with the composition for this one. Okay, last song on the album. This song is called... Untitled. Mm -hmm. 
okay, respectfully, the beginning of this song sounds like Weird Al's attempt at a cure song. <laughs> Shut up. Because you have the accordion, okay? Uh, but with that said, this is my second favorite song in the entire album. I love it. I love it. So it's beautiful. It's melodic. The accordion works for me. I don't care. I think that's great. Still passionate and sadly beautiful at the end of this album. I love it. Um, I think it's a perfect way to end this album. I don't think they could have made a better choice on how to close out this roller coaster because it Um, it's beautiful it's sad everything but there's almost a sense of optimism in the music it's a little bit more uplifting and stuff like Robert's like I'm not gonna send you away to go hang yourself like after this whole album like it's it's gorgeous it's gorgeous I don't have a lot of notes because it's one of those that I don't think about a lot it just sits with me it seems like a perfect book into plain song Yes. I love it. Uh, the uh, accordion or pipe organ or whatever the intro riff is being played on this made me think of Pink Floyd, The Wall, not, not Weird not Al. Weird Al. <laughs> <laughs> but then, sure enough, once they've kind of given you a different taste, they've, they've cleaned your palate from all of the stuff that you've just listened to with this little bit, and they come back in with the, the beautiful ethereal music that you've loved every second of as you've gone through this album they bring you in gently they do all this stuff with drugs and spiders and then they place you gently on your pillow at the end of the night yes i like it all right well that seems like the perfect ending to a great album amanda we thank you for bringing this to us dragging this across the finish line like you did and uh and and bringing us along with you we we are now fans of this album oh my gosh this excites me so much you guys you have no idea just happy to share it you know that people on the internet they just love to pick 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 keyboard warriors whatever and i don't even know what post i was replying to or something but i had said something about the cure and this guy whoever he was came back and said well why why are you even talking about a one-hit wonder i was like oh god this guy has no clue what he's talking about like none but i feel like that's the perception a lot of people have the cure it's like just the stuff you hear on the radio you know and they don't realize this catalog of music 13 albums and every single album they've had big things to say so when people start listening, yeah, like, okay, maybe you don't like the radio stuff. My husband, perfect example. And if you can open your minds and hearts to it, it'll affect you. Amen. I'm a convert. Thank you very much. I, I, I genuinely appreciate you dragging me across the finish line, as Jason put it. I'm really glad that I, I got to explore this album. Not only did you bring this to us, but... I mean, we've got thousands of listeners out there that might be hearing this for the first time, really. So, yeah, I'm I'm so excited to see what some of the feedback is and stuff. So it's worth mentioning that they were inducted in the Hall of Fame, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame back in 2019 by none other than Trent Reznor, okay, of Nine Inch Nails, my number five favorite group in the entire world. And he <laughs> summed it up perfectly in his speech. Trent Reznor says they've sold the best part of who gives a sh- how many million records and been an essential touchstone in the genres of post-rock, new wave, goth, alternative, shoegaze, and post-rock. 
They've been in and out of fashion so many times in the last four decades that they ended up transcending fashion itself. He also says The Cure are one of the most unique, most brilliant, most heartbreakingly excellent rock bands the world has ever known. My husband and I just visited the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. You guys, I was in heaven. We just were there in July, I want to say. And they have their little plaque and everything, you know, that all the inductees get. But absolutely zero memorabilia was donated by The Cure to the Hall of Fame. Nothing. Because, you know, Robert's wow. like a minimalist. He's like, I only have these things, you know? Like, yeah. Can't give them up. So. Got my satchel, uh, got the lyrics, and that's it. And my wife. <laughs> that's right. That's it. <laughs> my Woolworth guitar. That's it. <laughs> Amanda, we could not have picked a better guest host for this album than you. You've been fantastic. Your emotional connection and love for this band came through very clearly. Thank you so much for coming and joining us for this. Thank you, guys. We'll come back next week as we dive into Depeche Mode's Violator. As recommended by Amanda, we're going to have Jeannie Alexander come on, and she's going to talk about it with us. And we'll get your final judgment. We'll make a final judgment. We'll get Jeannie's final judgment, and we'll see where we land next week. The Cure versus Depeche Mode. Come back then. Thanks, Amanda. I love it. Thanks so much, you guys. This was so fun. See you guys next week. But I did have one other fun thing for you guys. Here's my best list, okay? See okay. if you can figure out what I'm throwing down here, okay, for you. Thriller, only because off the wall wasn't an option. Airplane, Van Hager, Back to the Future. Pyromania, Gladiator, never saw it, but Russell Crowe always slaps. Trading Places, never mind. Major League, Superman, Synchronicity, Jaws, Back in Black, Cannonball Run, Faith, George Michael's always going to be the king. Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, Dr. Feelgood, Fright Night, Sign of the Times, because I'm the only person in the world who despises you too, Die Hard, New Jersey, Dumb and Dumber, Get a Grip, Happy Gilmore, Huey Lewis and the New Sports, Ghostbusters, Footloose, Aliens, Terminator, Silence of the Lambs, American Werewolf in London, Young Guns, Beastie Boys, Christmas Story, Batman 89, Toto, always Toto, Dirty Dancing, The Thing, White Snake, Robocop, Alice in Chains, Christmas Vacation, Groundhog Day, Outsiders, An Innocent Man, Big Lebowski, I Hate Both Big and Twins, Living Colors Vivid, <laughs> Vacation, <laughs> Vacation, although Jason is dead wrong about the great outdoors, Cinderella's <laughs> Long Cold Winter, and the theme songs, 79 to or 75 to 79, tie between Three's Company and Dallas, 80 to 84, Love Boat, 85 to 89, Full House, 90 to 94, Saved by the Bell, 95 to 99, South Park. Boom, in case you were wondering. Wow. wow. That was great. That was fantastic.